Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Hello, Garden Church. I'm so excited to be with you. Um, uh, for those of you who might not know me, my name is Julian Adams. Uh, my wife and I are planting a church in the great city of Boston. Um, I'm really, um, I feel so privileged and just honored that um, Pastor Darren has invited me to communicate and to be part of your series around the rule of life. Um, most of us live in a particular context, in a particular space, in a particular place that doesn't look like a church building, it doesn't look like church meetings, in fact it doesn't look very quote-unquote Christian. Yet God has called us to be a people who invade every space in every way because nothing is irredeemable. And that makes us ask the question, it makes us have to think about our spirituality, about our hidden life in God, and what that needs to look like in spaces, in public places, in our work, in the way that we do life. And I want to unpack a few things out of the Gospel of John to help lay a foundation of what it means for us to have a rule of life that impacts our vocational world, that impacts where we work how we communicate to authorities in our workplace, how we do the things that God has called us to do as a people of the kingdom in spaces that don't necessarily look like the kingdom. I'd love it if you turned in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. I want to unpack just a few verses and I'm trusting that God's incredible grace will reveal some things to you and bring a transformation in your heart and your mind. Before I begin, I want to just pray for us, and I'd love it if you just simply put your hand on your heart, um, and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to bring uh, revelation, to bring fresh perspective and insight for you to walk in to all that he has for us. And so, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you love us, and thank you that you're the one that leads us into truth. And I pray for my friends that are watching today, would you meet with them in a real tangible way and bring transformation of their heart? to step into the purposes you have for them. So if you can, let's have a look at John, the Gospel of John and chapter 20. And I'm going to be reading um, from verse 12. Uh, We are picking up the story where Mary has gone to look for Jesus um, post his death in the garden tomb, at the garden tomb. And there are two angels standing at the tomb because Christ is now resurrected. And uh, we pick up in verse 12, it says this, And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I love this particular context of scripture because 
it's going to speak right into our understanding that what God has called us to do in our workspace, in our vocational life, in the things that we get to do, not just to earn a living, but actually to establish God's kingdom is holy to him. Most of you work outside of full-time ministry um, because God has called you to be a people who engage in the world through your vocation, through your job, whether it be being a, a mom at home looking after children, whether it be a um, a financial director of a company, God has called you and that's what makes it vocational. There is destiny in what you're doing in every space and place that you have influence over. Now the Gospel of John is one of my favorite Gospels because it is an allegorical Gospel. John is known as the Revelator. He writes the um, book of Revelation too. He, he's one who's given to allegory, prophetic imagery. Prophetic simply means um, revealing God's heart and, and the prophetic often helps us unlock what God is doing. And John is one who sees things allegorically and he writes the Gospel of John in an allegorical way. He's wanting us to understand that the signs that he talks about, the images that he uses, all point to the person of Jesus. And John starts out with a very important verse. In fact, he quotes a verse from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And he starts off the Gospel of John with, In the beginning. And the premise of John's Gospel is the understanding that God in Jesus has a has begun, as it were, a new genesis, a new beginning, a new starting point that's only found in the person of Jesus, and that Jesus is the one who is now recreating all things, transforming all things, and redeeming all things. And that's what the Gospel of John really is all about. And this particular verse that I've just read might seem insignificant to do with vocation. You might be thinking, where is he going with this? But I want you to come on a journey with me. I want you just to, to go right back to the beginning, because right back in the beginning, we see God creating Eden, which means pleasure. It means the place of delight as when in the place of Eden, in this garden, um, in Jewish understanding, and indeed in biblical understanding, we see that the Garden of Eden is the first expression of a temple, as it were. It's the first expression of the place where heaven and earth meet. It's, it's beautiful imagery. And God commissions Adam to cultivate and to keep the garden in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. It's a beautiful um, <coughs> picture because that, that particular phrase to cultivate and to keep or to work or to look after this garden that God has given is actually a word that is used only in temple language throughout the Old Testament. The same commission that Adam received in looking after the garden that was in front of him is the same commission that the priests receive in tending and keeping and cultivating the presence of God in the temple. Now we know that the, the understanding of the temple is really important in the Old Testament because it was the place where heaven and earth met. It was the place 
where God met with his people in a tangible and in a real way. And what I love about this imagery in the Old Testament, particularly about the garden, is that God meets with Adam in a very practical and in a very real sense in a garden and he commissions him to work. And the same language that is used for working and cultivating is worship language that is used in the temple because our work, our vocation, is worship to God. You'll note that worship was in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. Before man sinned, there was work and it flowed from an expression of rest. It flowed from an expression of the rhythms of God. God set things in motion and we joined what he was doing and it flowed from the place of worship because this was the temple, as it were. This was the first dwelling place of God. This was the first place where heaven and earth met. You see, in that commission, God tells Adam to take this garden and to increase its influence, to increase its borders by cultivating and looking after this garden throughout the area that he was in. It was supposed to expand and you'll know that because of sin, Adam, had to, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. But here's the beautiful thing, friends. The original design of God is that nothing is meant to be separate. My hidden life in God, my spiritual connection to him, my uh, emotional affection for him, and my physical worship to him was not meant to be separate from my everyday life. It was not meant to be separate from my, my loving my family. It was not meant to be separate from my fun. And it certainly was not meant to be separate from the things that I feel called to, from the things that I work in, from the things that I'm doing every day in practical ways. You see, the beautiful imagery that we've just read about in the Gospel of John strikes me as very important because John is an allegorical writer, because he's wanting to speak to our, um, uh, uh, the imagery that many of the Jews reading this book would have understood. When John writes this and pens this, this is the only time that we see this particular picture in all of the Gospels that Jesus is revealed as a gardener. He's wanting to grab our attention. And here's what he's wanting us to understand. Jesus is the new Adam. It's beautiful. But what I love even more is that the first revelation that we see of Jesus post his resurrection it's not one of a conquering king. It's not one of a um, <clears throat> lord that's riding in on a white horse. It's not one of this king that is now going to take over the world. No, the first revelation that we see of Jesus post his resurrection is of one as a gardener, as one who is a worker, as one who cultivates, protects, and tools the ground that is in front of him. John is undeniably wanting us to understand that there is a new beginning and there is a new Adam that is found in Jesus and that our mission is the same mission that he has to extend influence 
and to extend, as it were, the garden of grace wherever we go. The first revelation of Jesus is of him as a glorified gardener. I, I think that's incredible. And when we understand that the, the choosing of revelation that Jesus brings of himself post-resurrection is confined to this incredible expression of a glorified body, one that is so beautiful and, 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 and dazzling, as it were. It, it's a glorified body that reflects the very dynamic of heaven, which is incredible, but one that is dynamically connected to the earth as a gardener and as one who works. God is inviting you to begin to understand that the things that you are called to, whether it be um, being a stay-at-home mom and working with your kids and raising godly children or a stay-at-home dad raising godly children, whether it be a nurse, a doctor, a teacher, a financial director of a big company, whatever it is, God is wanting us to understand, particularly through this imagery of Jesus the gardener, is that your life vocationally is not separate from God, but it is holy to God. In other words, it is set apart for him, to him, and for his purposes. That is what it means to live with an understanding of work being our worship. You see, the beautiful thing is that this is so important in our understanding of how this governs our life, how we live in the rule of life, because the Bible calls us to do everything, everything to the glory of God. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 31. In your eating, in your drinking, in everything, do it to the glory of God. Actually, the reality is when you begin to understand this theme of temple theology, the projection of temple theology, or worship theology really, is that it starts in a garden called Eden, but it is now resting in you and I. In other words, everything in life should be worshipped because everything that you do flows from a temple that is now filled with the Holy Spirit. And worship, and living our life in worship, living our life as we work in worship, and as we worship in work, is a prophetic picture of ultimately what we will do for eternity. The prophetic is a picture of what's going to happen in the future so that we can see that right now. And the beautiful thing is that we fulfill our destiny in the context of worship because it is the one thing that ultimately we will do forever in God and with God and we will enjoy him forever because worship is ultimate. Our devotion to him is ultimate. This is the basis of everything that we do, that our affection, our, our heart, our our, our our work, our relationships, our play, our fun, is all an offering of devotion, of worship to him because wherever we go, there is a temple of worship that is resident in us. Friends, I, I believe that when you live your life 
as an integrated whole, when you realize that actually heaven is not separate from earth, but it's a coexisting reality, that we now get the privilege of being those who demonstrate that, you suddenly begin to realize that every space that you occupy is an opportunity for heaven to come. Every space that you occupy is an opportunity for you to worship God in. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It takes the pressure off me to perform. It takes the pressure off me to simply work for a living. It takes the pressure off me to gain my approval from what I do, but to simply rest in the fact that as I serve where I find myself, I get to worship God in a beautiful and in a pure way. Well, how do we do this? How do we live this out? How do we live in the context of the overflow of worship? That once we understand that our work is worship, our vocation is worship, what we do is worship, it, it's got to shift everything for us. And there are a few things that I want to just lean into around how we need to do this. Well, Firstly, one of the things that I'm more and more convinced of, particularly in today's climate, is that you will not have authority over any area that you do not love. The problem for many of us is we go to work, we find our um, identity and our worth from what we do, whether it's formal work or whether it's working in different contexts, in an entrepreneurial way, whatever it is, we often find our worth from that. Our vocation, our sense of call, often is the driving factor for our worth. But this should not be so in the kingdom. You see, our, our sense of call doesn't give us worth. Our being loved by Jesus gives us worth. Our being found in him gives us worth. And that love has to extend from us to everyone and everything around us. And for many of us, we've only seen spaces that are outside of quote-unquote church meetings or church gatherings as something to be avoided, as the daily drudgery of life. I've got to do what I've got to do to get by so that I can get to another church gathering or so I can get to something that looks quote-unquote Christian. But the truth is, friends, that the space of influence that you have, the place, the boundary lines that God has given you in terms of your job, in terms of what you do between um, Sunday to Sunday, as it were, actually is an opportunity for you to extend God's kingdom through his love. And you need to identify the spaces of influence that he's given you because when you do, You'll have authority over these places, not in terms of a position, not in terms of a posture that says, I get to dominate, but one that, like Jesus, lays down your life in that area for the kingdom to come. I remember, you know, um, a few years ago when I worked in a, um, in a job in Cape Town. Um, it was my first job I was doing. Uh, some work for a big corporate company, and my boss was possibly the worst boss I think I have ever had. And I remember 
in the morning praying and committing my day to the Lord, committing my workspace to the Lord, committing uh, what, what um, was in front of me to God, I would literally pray in my office and ask God to fill it with his presence. And um, I remember praying often the prayers of God, not only give me grace to learn what I need to learn today, but give me grace to show your love. Help me love this place. And I remember after three months um, of not telling anyone in any overt way that I was a Christian, not, telling, not, not giving a gospel presentation to anyone, I, I was just working. It's my first three months, first job. And after three months, my boss walked into my office and said to me, what is it about you that makes me think of eternity? And in that moment, I, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And the beautiful thing was, I didn't work for it. I simply lived in the place of worship. I simply lived in the place of loving Jesus and loving the place that was around me. And it began to give me authority in that workspace for God's kingdom to come and bring transformation. The motivating factor of how we're to live under the governance of God, as it were, or under the rule of life that stirs up our affection for him and stirs up the desire to be a follower of Jesus requires us to love the spaces in front of us because that is how people know we are his disciples. The second thing that I began to understand or that I want to pull out of what it means for us to live in a space where we see God's grace invade every place is that it has to be, we have to be a people who understand that kingdom living is incarnated through Holy Spirit empowerment. That simply means we have to be a people who consistently rely on the leading and the grace of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to demonstrate something of God's kingdom. One of the things that is so beautiful is that because you are the temple, because where you show up becomes an opportunity for worship, because when you get to work, a temple, a meeting point of heaven and earth is now there, you get to release the very transformative power of the Holy Spirit. And when you simply acknowledge his presence in your everyday, when you allow him to lead you, to guide you, when you respond to him in obedience and in grace, it begins to produce a fruitfulness around you that is stunning. You know, one of the things I get to do is to go into big corporates and provide some destiny coaching. Um, and I use my particular gift as a prophetic voice as one who hears God for and on behalf of others to shape the way they think and to help not only their businesses grow, but to help connect them to God. And I've learned that in any given context, the Holy Spirit is the one who gets to lead us into truth. Notice the Bible says that he, the Holy Spirit, will lead you into all truth, not just biblical truth, but all truth. And I'm unqualified. There's nothing inside of me that qualifies me to stand in front of billionaires and influencers and financial directors of multinationals and to try and give them some kind of destiny coaching. I haven't done enough work to help them get there. I don't have enough academia to help them get there. But I do have the person of the Holy Spirit 
And when you live in a life that says, I walk in a devoted posture towards God in worship, the Holy Spirit fills you, He fills His temple, He speaks to you, He guides you, and He leads you. And so in those moments, you get to ask Him, what do you want to do? You see, work is worship. And God is attracted to worship. The Bible says that He is seeking those. God is seeking those who would understand this incredible principle that worship is not just what we do on a Sunday. It's not just sun worship. It is a life devoted to Him. It is a life that integrates this principle of worship in every space and in every place. God's inviting you to incarnate. That literally means to put flesh to this temple of worship and to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you wherever you go. The third thing that we need to understand in terms of living in a rule of life is that God wants you to carry an eternal perspective. You see, the beautiful thing about the people of God is we as a community, we as individuals, are the expression of the future reality that is to come on the earth right now. We are the presence of the future on the earth right now. And because God wants to redeem every aspect of the world, the Bible says that all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. And because God wants to demonstrate his kingdom through us, we get to see with an eternal perspective that what we do now will have ramifications forever and ever. And that we get to be the presence of the future to the people around us in the spaces that we're called to. Whether it is at the moment for me, one of the things that I'm really giving myself to is how do I shape my children's heart, the call, the sense of call, how do I unlock that because it's going to have an eternal perspective. I want to suggest to you that in your workplace, in whatever it is that you feel called to, that there's an eternal perspective that you get to see and live from in order to transform the culture, in order to transform the way people do things. And the joy is that our eternal perspective is not that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Rather, it is one of great hope that Christ is coming and he will come and he will redeem all things. And until then, we're the picture of redemption for the world. God wants to invite you to partner with him in being that picture. You get to set and unlock eternity in the heart not only of the things that you're doing, but in the people that you're serving. I find it fascinating that the posture that Jesus models for us is one of servanthood. That as we come into the spaces that God's called us, we get to serve. And we get to do that with an eternal perspective. The last thing I want to touch on, number four, in understanding how we live out our vocation as an act of worship, is that we get to think missionally. And here's the thing, you are the redeeming agent that God now partners with on the earth 
to redeem all things. Friends, when you live in this place of loving the space in front of you, praying for the space in front of you, when you live in the place of incarnating kingdom values by the power of the Holy Spirit, when you see with an eternal perspective what happens is a natural overflow is that people want to know, they want to find out, they want to engage with you. And you get an opportunity to be an agent, a dispenser, a demonstrator of the kingdom. It's in this context that not only do you get to pray for the sick and see them recover, but it's in this context where God begins to unlock ideas and thoughts that causes people to go, hold on a minute, who is this guy? And when we create the atmosphere of the kingdom, when we create the space of the kingdom through our lives, people want to find out about the king of the kingdom. I find this happening so often as I particularly get to prophesy over those who are not yet Christian, those who have not yet understand that their sins have been forgiven and that Jesus wants to add them to his family. It's... It's beautiful as I begin to share with them and speak words of encouragement over them. Uh, very often the temptation is to try and ask God for all of the details so that it will wow them. But I've discovered that if I can just connect to God's heart of love for the places that I get to influence, the kingdom is made manifest. Because ultimately, the highest value of the kingdom is one that demonstrates and experiences the love of God. And so I want to invite you to see your vocation, your work, your workplace, your colleagues, the place of influence that God has given you through the eyes of worship. God has called you to be a gardener. He's called you to cultivate, to shape, and to look after his presence in every place and in every way. You get to be the presence of the future wherever you go. And as you live in the place that actually waking up in the morning, loving Jesus in the midst of your work context is an opportunity for his kingdom to come. You'll begin to see with fresh eyes that the spaces of influence that God has given you is a privilege and a delight, and you get to show his heart. Friends, God not only loves you, but he wants to demonstrate his love through you and redeem all of the places that he gives you authority for. I want us to pray just for a moment. Father, I thank you for your incredible kindness. Thank you that you love us so much. And I pray, God, even as people are watching, there will be this incredible revelation that you've called us to be the agents of the kingdom and that everything is meant to flow from the place of worship because everywhere we go, a temple goes and it is filled with the Holy Spirit. So I thank you for my friends who've been watching and listening. I pray for your presence to overfill, overflow them even right now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.